I think that's what heaven's going to feel like, at least a glimpse. Uh, ben, thank you so much. Uh, a couple of things before we get going in 1 Peter chapter 1 uh, this morning. So if you're a guest, we got a gift for you right uh, back there after the service if you want to bring that filled out connection card. And also that six-week challenge, it's kind of a big deal. Okay, we really want to emphasize so that people can take a next step into the church body. So if you don't have a group, we got three suggestions for you. One, if you speak Spanish. Two, if, you're, uh, if you want to speak English. Or if you just want to try something new. You can go to Spanish service. You can go to Spanish group. That's great, okay? We all got to learn something. Thank you. Uh, hold, yeah, hold your laughter and applause to the end. Good idea. Good. Okay. So 1 Peter chapter 1. Uh, today we're going to see that God is calling us toward holiness. And not just any old holiness. He's going to say for you, for me to be holy as God is holy. That's pretty dadgum holy uh, from what I can tell, okay? So when we lived in the mountains years ago in uh, North Carolina, okay, we saw, yeah, uh, we saw black bears pretty often, actually, but normally like out in nature, right? We would go on a hike and see a black bear, go for a drive in the mountains and see black bears, that kind of thing. But twice they came in our backyard, which uh, I'm from Mississippi originally, lived in Texas longer than anything, and that is scary as heck to see a black bear in your own backyard. And so the first time it happened, we're scared. We're like in the window, like hiding from the bear a little bit, trying to see what's going to happen. But the bear's kind of back there a while. So I get the guts to kind of, I'm like, all right, family, I'm going to go out there and get a video of this thing and kind of do something. And so, I, you know, Courtney, she, my wife, she's saying stuff like, no, don't go. You're everything to me, that kind of thing. You know, she's like <laughs> going crazy. I'm like, no, I got to do this. Okay. She's in, she's in kids right now. So she can tell her that. So and to be honest with you, there's like a ledge on our back patio that would make it pretty impossible for the bear to like jump and, and get me too quickly. So I estimate that I can go out, get a video, and then go back inside before he mauls me. Okay? So I go outside and I start the video and the bear like looks right at me and he does like the, you know, that thing that bears do. <laughs> Another regret, just like last week. But so the bear does that. And it's like this kind of epic thing, right? So I, it, I get the video, and I get I kind of back slowly inside, close the door, and my kids are like, Dad, that was awesome. You see the bear did that? You were doing this? I was crazy. Okay. And so I go, okay. So let's, let's watch the video, kids. So I, I pull up the video, and actually, here's the footage that I got. Two blurry pictures, not a video. Okay. I didn't get a video. I'm a dad. So I got a blurry picture when I thought I was starting the video and a blurry picture when I thought I was ending the video. No proof of this epic event. I promise you it happened. Only evidence that I am indeed a dad. Okay. Uh, whoops. But so what could have been this awesome thing is now proof of my shortcomings. Okay. So as we enter into this challenge and this standard-setting expectation of holiness in our lives, a lot of times when we come into this conversation, we just leave feeling like the dad who doesn't know how to work his phone. Me, holy, and as almighty God, is the one who is truly holy, be holy like him? That's the, but what if I can't hit that mark? Does he kick me out of his family? Do I get demerit somehow in the church? What is this, if I don't hit that mark, what happens to me. So the big idea today is that he's calling you not to be perfect, but distinct. Okay? Not perfect, but distinct. So we'll see together in God's word that he's not calling us to be perfect, but he is calling you to be set apart from the world, to be distinct from the world's way, to be, you know, not to blend into the world, but instead live according uh, to God's word. Let's read that word together. 1 Peter 1, 13, all the way to 21. Therefore, 
So building on top of what we heard last week. Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope, Christian, fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ's second coming. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance, but as he who has called but he as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. And if you call on him as Father, who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Verse 18. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things, you weren't bought with silver and gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake, who through Jesus are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and your hope are in God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. Remember who Peter is writing these words to, the diaspora. So those who were dispersed from Israel under the persecution of Emperor Claudius. Okay, so they were coming under persecution, so then they were spread all throughout Asia Minor. And so, of course, what Emperor Claudius meant for evil, God used for good. So now we have all these Christians, Jewish Christians, spread throughout Asia Minor, spreading the gospel out throughout these places, and they were meeting a lot of hostile persecution. Again, Jewish Christians, those who had you know, grown up Jewish, and now they had uh, accepted Jesus as the risen Messiah, the awaited one, long-awaited one. And so they're in, they're in foreign lands, sharing the gospel, and encountering all of this persecution, all of this hostility toward them. So last week, we saw Peter encouraging them to live by faith. Yes, this is hard, and God's not just going to parachute you out tomorrow. Walk by faith. Keep going because Jesus is your living hope, we saw last week. And Peter doesn't follow up that message, right? Keep going through the trial. Jesus is your living hope. He doesn't follow up that message with now just seclude yourself from society. Don't talk to strangers, okay? Don't talk to all those dirty, rotten sinners. Just keep to yourselves, and that's the way toward being holy, not engaging with those people on the outside. No, of course that's not what he says. He says, prepare your minds for action, Christian, And as you go into the world, be holy like Jesus. Prepare your minds for action. Be holy like Jesus as you go into the world. Look at verse 13 again. Therefore, preparing your minds, you see that, you know, it doesn't just happen. That's an active thing that we do in our lives. We read the scriptures, we pray, we come to church, we go to city group, we do all these things. To prepare your minds for action and to remain sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus. So actually a better translation or a better rendering of that first phrase, preparing your minds for action, is actually therefore gird up the loins of your mind. Seriously, okay. Modern translators are trying to help you out by saying prepare your minds for action, because that is the essence of what Peter was saying, but he's actually giving a metaphor in the original language there. He's saying gird up the loins of your mind. So typically, you know, so back in the day, in the first century, back where they were, okay, men and women both wore these kind of long flowing robes. So when it was time to run somewhere, they would gird up their robe and get to stepping. They would get to running right there. So a a soldier who's going to go into battle, they would actually double up their long robe, secure it with a belt, and get to fighting. So they would gird up Right? And then they would get to, so you got to gird, okay? If you're going to be, if you're going to fight, okay? So typically in the first century when you would gird up, it didn't involve mental activity. So he's given them this kind of living, simple metaphor, and he's given it to us too. So before you go out into the world tomorrow, 
right? Before you go to the grocery store or to your kids' ball games or to work or to school, you got to gird your minds, okay? Now you won't forget it. So, but before, uh, you know, we get out there and bless people and make disciples and help people and share how Jesus' way is better than the world's way, we have to prepare our minds. We have to prepare to run, prepare to sprint, prepare for battle. So as we gird, So as we prepare our minds for action, Peter reminds us where to set our hope. He says to set your hope, look, fully on the grace of Christ. Not 90%, not 80%, not 99%. Fully on the grace of Christ that Jesus is coming back for you. That you're secure in Jesus and you'll be with Jesus forever. So setting your hope fully on Jesus is the first step toward holiness. The first step toward holiness is not doing this or coming to church or doing that. It's reorienting your entire hope, your mindset, everything on to Christ. Uh, You know, a lot of people say that, you know, the first step toward, uh, the first step of every journey, uh, every journey begins with a single step. Okay, that's why I bring notes up here. As people say, every journey begins with a single step. Well, not really. If If you don't go in the right direction, your journey hasn't really started. So a lot of people, their journey of faith or their journey in their life, it hasn't really even begun because they're hoping in money or they're hoping in this or that to finally find hope. But that's, they haven't even started the journey. So if if you wanted to head to Houston, which nobody wants to head to Houston. So if you had to go to Houston, okay, and you get on 35 and you go north, your journey hasn't really started yet. You're going the wrong way. So we haven't even started from the starting point yet. So what Peter is saying is, as we head on this journey of holiness, This is the foundation. This is the starting point. This is the jumping point. Set your hope fully on Christ. You can depend on him. You can hope in him. He's got your back. He saved you from your sin. That's the first step toward holiness. You know, last week we looked at how it's not really hope if it's not in Christ. If you're hoping in money or you're hoping in your job or you're hoping in a relationship or what fill in the blank, hoping in another religion, hoping in yourself, it's actually not hope, right? It's only hope if you depend on Jesus. One important note here, um, you know, the, the biblical word and idea for hope is different than our understanding of the word hope, okay? Our English, under our Western understanding of the word hope. Our understanding is, I hope this happens, right? Like, I hope the Cowboys win the Super Bowl. I think it's going to happen, but I don't know. I hope it's going to happen. I hope that my sons take a shower this week. Not a done deal, Okay, I hope, so we use it like that, like it might happen, I really hope it happens, but that's not the biblical, whenever the Bible talks about hope, it is not an uncertainty, it is a certainty, it is a, not just a desired outcome, it is a sure thing. Hope in the Bible is not wishing for some outcome that might materialize, but it's banking on the solid rock that will always come through. That's why Hebrews 6.19 calls hope the anchor of the soul. That's what it can be in your life. The hope in Jesus is the anchor. It holds you down always because it's certain and stable. You can set your hope fully on Jesus. And that's the first step toward holiness. Look at verse 14 again. As obedient children, don't be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. Again, not requiring you to be perfect in order to stay one of God's children. But he does expect holiness. Not requiring you to be perfect, but he does raise the bar. If you go to one of your kids' ball games and act a fool, if you're the first one to yell at the ref, if you're the first one to yell at the volunteer coach about your kid, you're acting just like the world. If you lie and connive to get people to bend to your will, that's the world's way. 
If you cheat and cut corners at work, that's how the world does it. That's not us. He's setting a new standard. That's the world's way. We, in our house, this is how we do it, right? So are you different from those around you? God is calling you toward a better path. And he said, man, y'all used to be that way. That's, that's old days. That's BC. That's not you anymore. Don't go back to your former ignorance. And you know what you call it when it's not ignorance anymore? When you know what to do and then you do it, you know, keep it to yourself. All right, so, and here comes the standard setting expectation from our Father. Look at verses 15 and 16. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all of your conduct, seen and unseen. It's written, you shall be holy for I am holy. God raises the bar for us. He expects holiness. I love Deion Sanders. I love what's happening in Colorado. I really do. And so if you don't know, Deion Sanders is taking the college football world by storm right now. Okay. One and double overtime. Whoever scheduled that game for 8 o'clock, they don't deserve jail, but at least some community service. Because I didn't, I watched the first half, I had to go to bed. But Colorado, when's the last time we talked about Colorado football? It's been a minute, but now we're all talking about it. So what's the difference? Coach Prime, why are we all talking about it? Why are they 3-0? and Because he has set a new standard. The past 20 years of Colorado football, there was a low standard. Now he's come in and he goes, this is the effort that we give, players. This is the standard. This is how we practice. This is how we play. It's a new standard altogether, right? So our father, to his kids, okay, he's laying down the house expectations, right? He's saying, in this house, we expect holiness, okay? Uh, it's a different standard. You know, th- this is how we do it now. Not, if you don't reach this, then you're out of the house, Okay, not that. He's setting a new standard. There's supposed to be a sharp contrast between us and people in the world, between God's children and people that aren't God's children. And it flows from God's character, right? It, it, as his children, we take on a family resemblance. You know, holiness so defines God's character that it can be said to include all of his other divine moral perfections as well. That's how big of a deal his holiness is. His holiness shows us that all of his other divine excellences, his goodness, his justice, his mercy, his truth, his grace, are unified and harmoniously in sync in God's perfect and holy character. Uh, when the prophet Isaiah, we were just singing the song, when, you know, so prophet Isaiah, Isaiah 6, he gets this vision of God. And there's millions of angel, angels on the floor saying, holy, holy, holy are you God. Isaiah doesn't go, wow. He goes, Whoa. So as we encounter God, he doesn't overwhelm us with how brilliantly like us he is, but how brilliantly unlike and other he is. So holiness in the absolute sense belongs only to God, since only God is untouched by evil. But the Old Testament makes the same statement that we see in 1 Peter here, that you are to be, I am to be holy just like God is holy. So our Father intends that each of us bear the fruit of the Spirit, Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, that this fruit is, that we bear this fruit in our lives and all that we do, increasingly so in every area of our lives. So as we strive after holiness, again, okay, as we mess up and we fall back into sin and then we repent again and we mess up and we fall back into sin and we repent, we repent again, we understand that the same God who is raising the bar to holiness is quick to forgive. The same Father who sets this high bar in this house rule, He's quick to welcome us home. He's eager to heal and restore and renew. 
He sets expectation for holiness, and in the same letter, he encourages us to cast our cares on him. Same God. So these two things can coexist. High standards, Father, and caring and loving Father. In my experience in ministry, that's one of the hardest things for people to really get a hold of. They go for one or the other, right? They really lean into his care or they really lean into his high standard, right? And I think a lot of the reason for that is how we grew up. Maybe your father leaned on one or the other, and there's all kinds of reasons that we have different perspectives. But those two things can coexist, and they do in our father, okay? High standards, standard of holiness, and caring and loving simultaneously, those things are happening. And on the heels of this setting expectation of holiness, of being set apart from the world while in the world and engaging the world and making disciples, look at verses 18 to 21. Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, you weren't bought with perishable things like silver or gold. You were bought with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. He was foreknown before the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for your sake. Put your name on that. Who through him, through Jesus, your believer in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory so that your faith and hope are in God. Listen, you were redeemed. Okay. Your sin had you pinned down. It did. Uh, You were spiritually enslaved. You owed a debt that you could never pay back. So Jesus came lived a perfect life. He bore your sins on the cross, paid the debt that you could never pay, was died. I mean, he died and then rose again to give us hope eternally, hope today and hope forever. He redeemed us. Van, if y'all could come on up. I'm still preaching though. All right, don't close your Bibles and do that. I see you. I can, if you can see me, I can see you. Okay. Van, y'all come on up. Years ago, when Courtney and I were dating, Courtney, my bride, and we're married now, but we were dating. Uh, it's, that's hard for my kids to, to picture, but we dated at one point. And I knew I wanted to marry her. We were at that point, and there was only one problem with that. Now, I knew, I had a good idea that if I proposed, she would say yes. That's kind of the biggest part, okay? I had a good idea that if I asked her dad for permission in his hand, then he would, that would go well. We had built a relationship. So I'll, but the problem was, I was broke, I was broke, and I wanted to buy a ring, and I was an intern at a church, so that wasn't changing anytime soon. I was finna be broke for a while, okay? And so, but I wanted to marry her. So I tried to find solutions, and I moved in with this really interesting guy, and I took care of his dogs, and I did a bunch of chores around his house to live for free. Check, okay, that, that helped. And he kept his house at 80 degrees. I was hot the whole time I was there, okay? Uh... Uh, this is a true story. I ate a can of black beans for soup, per, I mean, for dinner pretty much every night for months because I wanted to marry that woman. I, anything I could do to save a dime, I would do it. And then after months and months, me and her college roommate, Leisha Heffington, hey. Leisha Noblet now, we went to look for a ring. After months of sleeping in a hot house and eating, not eating brisket, okay, I got to get on one knee and give her the ring that I worked so hard for. So as Peter describes the cost of Jesus' sacrifice. When I think about the cost of that ring, I don't think about the money. I think about sleeping in 80 degrees, you know, and, and months and months of sacrifice. Because I, it's about sacrifice. It's about love, right? Because I wanted to give my honey the best ring that I could. So as Peter, des- again, describes the cost of the sacrifice, he speaks of us being bought with a price. And there's a word in verse 19 that we dare not rush by. Look at it again. 
we're redeemed not just with blood, but with Jesus's precious blood. The most precious and costly thing to ever hit the surface of this earth is Jesus's blood. Um, The cost of your redemption was high, but he doesn't regret it for a second. He loves you so much that he came and he didn't just you know, make it hard for you to, to get to him. But yeah, then now you can come in. But he makes his path, his, his burden is light, the scripture says. And he wants to welcome you into his family. He wants to welcome you home again if you've strayed away.